This podcast was recorded at 10.15 a.m. Jakarta time on 15 June. Things may have changed by the time you hear this. Enjoy the show. He is Kevin O'Rourke, the author of Reformasi Weekly Newsletter. And he is the inimitable Jeffrey Hutton, Straits Times correspondent. This is Reformasi Dispatch. On today's show... Going gaga for ganja. Is it new energy or renewable energy? But first, as we record, rather, we are expecting a cabinet reshuffle, mini shuffle. Kev, who's in, who's out? Right. Well, um, you know, always a bit uh, hazardous to report something before it actually happens, but it uh, seems pretty certain that there's uh, two positions that'll change hands. So that is the. Uh, Beleaguered Trade Minister Mohammed Lutfi, replaced by Zulkifli Hassan, who is the chair of the National Mandate Party or PAN, which threw its support behind Widodo at a somewhat late stage, about a little over two years ago, and they're finally getting their reward that they've been seeking. And uh, the other position is land affairs, where a uh, cabinet veteran, Sofian Jalil, should get replaced by. Hadi Chayanto, who is a four-star air marshal from the Air Force, who was military chief until last year. He's an old friend of uh, Widodo from 15 years ago. So, uh, yeah, so I think those are the changes that will happen, plus a few vice minister posts that uh, aren't really too significant. So the the uh, departing ministers aren't being punished. It's not as a result of underperformance, but more a case of uh, spreading the largesse to to allies and friends in the waning years of the Widodo presidency? Um, yeah, it is definitely accommodating Hassan from Pan as an ally who's been very loyal to Widodo for the past two years. But um, it is also definitely, I think, uh, punishing Lutfi because he's been faulted for the cooking oil uh, mess in recent months, um, as well as other issues. So the other position is... a bit more of a head scratcher. Um, press reports are saying that the president is unhappy with Sofian Jalil's performance as land affairs minister because there are still lots of disputes over land around the country. But I'm not really so sure that's the case. I think, the, you know, objectively speaking, all things considered, I think uh, the land affairs ministry has done a pretty good job under Jalil. Uh, so... I wonder if it might be more political, uh, because uh, I think in the past, Sofian Jalil was very much an ally of Yusuf Kala, uh, who, of course, had been loyal to Widodo in the first term. But Yusuf Kala now is on the side of Anit Baswedan, or as Joko Widodo appears to be on the side of Ganjar. Um, and so maybe this is a message from Widodo to everybody that supporting Baswedan is not... Uh, encouraged <laughs> it's not 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 a great way to endear yourself to uh, to the uh, president no not ideal not preferable not preferable not a not a good look okay yeah uh the one map was a a big initiative for the Widodo government that was that was a, an early promise has there been there's been progress on that front right yeah, that's right. Yeah, the, the, the one map policy has been really important. Just in yeah, instead of having about uh, you know 
10 different maps for the same plot of land, depending on what ministry you go to. Uh, now there's a you know, sort of a proverbial one map. There's actually dozens of maps that have different sectoral themes, but they, they're all integrated now. And they, right. They all match. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, uh, but uh, the big thing that land affairs ministry has done is to title plots. So there's uh, an estimated 126 million land plots occupied by households and families uh, throughout the country. And when Widodo came into office, those that had secure legal ownership title numbered say, uh, around 40 million. And uh, since then, that, that number has doubled. So now it's uh, a little over uh, 80 million now have a secure legal title. Um, and that's just so important. If you've yeah. got a secure legal title, then you can, you can borrow against it. Um, yeah, that's it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah it and you're more likely to take care of it. Yeah. It gives you an incentive to enhance production. You have a long-term approach. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, yeah. It's, it's just, it's just a much better system. Well, like everywhere else, you got to pick the winner. You don't pick the winner. You're <laughs> yeah. out. Especially yeah. when, when there's an election on the way. Speaking of elections, support for Gunter Pernod to stand as a presidential candidate is building as polls indicate growing name recognition for the central Java governor. He's level-pegging other purported rivals, including Jakarta's governor, Anis Baswedan, who we just talked about, and two-time presidential candidate and former son-in-law of Suharto, Prabowo Subianto. Crucially, in recent weeks, Ganjar appears to be gaining favor among elites, including none other than the president himself. Just one problem. While the two men are members of the Indonesian Democratic Party struggle, the PDIP, their chairwoman, Megawati Putri, is apparently backing her daughter, Puan Maharani. Puan may stand as a vice presidential candidate with Prabowo, who is from an entirely different party, or maybe even run for the top job herself. This despite the fact that Puan is pulling at about two or so percent, which is about two percentage points more than our sound engineer, Stephen Handoko, who isn't <laughs> even running. Um, so Ganjar has the momentum. But first, I thought maybe we'd take uh, a moment to remind the listener who Ganjar Pernoa is and why we clearly favor him. Like, why, why is he just a better candidate? Why, why is at least, at least a presidential bid desirable for him? Right, yeah, uh, yeah. Not necessarily the best person in Indonesia to be president, but among the top three contenders in presidential preference polls, he's definitely the best uh, contender. Anis Baswedan is is respectable in a lot of ways, I, I think. And, and from yep. watching him, yes. from my point of view, as governor of Jakarta, there hasn't been a lot of uh, breakthroughs or achievements or uh, yeah, really inspiring leadership from uh, Anis Baswedan as governor. To be sure, he's, he's lacked support from the central government because he's basically in the political opposition. But nonetheless, you know, Anis Baswedan has less of a substantial track record. Uh, for effective governing than does Ganjar Pranowo, who's had eight years uh, heading a larger province than Jakarta, central Java, the third largest province, with 23 million people. So it would be one of the biggest countries in the world if it were uh, an independent country. So, uh, yeah, also Ganjar uh, really ha has a lot more emphasis on clean governance and um, 
He's uh, has quite a bit of uh, charisma. So you know, it's uh, all relative, and um, also whereas Anis Baswedan tends to have received his support to date from Islamic-oriented parties or Islamic organizations, including some very hardline Islamic groups. Uh, Ganjar Pranowo is very much a pluralist figure. So, <clears throat> you know, those are some of the, the discrepancies. You know, Ganjar Pranowo uh, had a controversial start to his uh, career early on uh, when he was uh, a young member of parliament. Uh, Twelve years ago, he was a very outspoken critic of the finance minister, Sri Mulyani Indrawati, over the uh, government rescue of Bank Century, which her critics alleged was corrupt without any basis, in fact, for that. Um, but uh, I think you know, that, that was sort of um, something that happened back then at the time, and Ganjar Pranoha has changed a lot as a politician in the time since. So he's, um, he's sort of a, a self-made meritocratic leader of the ilk of, of Joko Widodo. Uh, is he a, sort of a rags-to-riches story like, like Joko Wee was? Uh, probably not really not. riches, but you know, so yeah. he, he's a millionaire of his own right. Yeah, he's from a rural part of central Java that's right along the border with East Java up in the mountains. That's where he was as a child, anyway. Um, so, um, yeah, he doesn't have the business background that Joko Widodo had. Joko Widodo uh, became a really prominent figure in the furniture industry uh, in Solo and um. He did very well for himself uh, at a time when that industry was booming. Uh, Ganjar Pranoa has really been dedicated uh, to politics from, from an early age. So that's, But otherwise, they are similar because they both come up through these uh, direct elections for regional heads, which has been sort of a proving ground uh, for Indonesia's uh, most popular leaders, including Anis Baswedan, also West Java Governor Ridwan Kamio, uh, East Java Governor Kofifa Indeparwansa. So these are the figures who are uh, showing up in polls right now uh, because they've got track records and because they've won popular elections and they've been responding to constituents. Uh, the exception, of course, is Prabowo Subianto, who, as you mentioned, former Suharto son-in-law, uh, general and um, you know, two-time presidential candidate. So he's the other figure in the top three in polls along with uh, Ganjar and Anis. Uh, I'm going to put you on the spot um, because I'm, I'm drawing a blank on this. You know, when we were writing a the the bio for for Joko Widodo in the back in the early years just, just to you know talk about this rising star some of the things that he did maybe low hanging fruit in in retrospect but he did things like get the Kaki Lima off the streets he, he introduced um, uh, some semblance of free healthcare for the poor um, at, when he was mayor of Solo and then he got worldwide recognition as a mayor of the year or one of the mayors of the year. I don't think it was the mayor of the year. What sort of successes does Ganjar have or uh, initiatives um, fixes the government? Right. Well, central Java has uh, pretty much outperformed a lot of other provinces uh, during Ganjar's tenure uh, in terms of economic growth and employment and especially attracting investment. It's uh, the new hotspot, uh, really, for manufacturing investment, which is uh, booming right now, finally, after many years. And there's a lot of factors for that, not all of which are attributable to the governor, of course. Uh, part of it is because the central government has kept wages 
low inadvertently, but you know, nonetheless, uh, Central Java has got uh, very competitive wages, and that's one factor. But uh, the, the provincial government has performed in terms of ensuring infrastructure projects get done. Uh, and uh, there's been a, an improvement in the local governance, which has uh, facilitated uh, the business environment and thus investment in job creation. Uh, the governor's attended a lot to issues like uh, environmental degradation, um, trying to restore the, the coastline on central Java, which is really damaged by erosion. And uh, he's uh, attends to things like uh, the most recent one was cancer awareness. He shaved his head for, for that. And, uh, these are the kind of um, campaigns that he uh, gets involved in uh, very enthusiastically. I'm, I'm trying to imagine Prabowo doing that. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, so, so, so Ganjar is really is in some respects of the, of the same sort of ilk as, as um, Joko being able to use the media with some tight messaging um, and being seen, being seen to be responsive to the people. Uh, that thought that the government should work for the voters rather than the other way around. Uh, he's, he's an extension of that. That's right, yeah. I think like Widodo, Ganjar at times struggles to manipulate the, the levers of power uh, adroitly uh, and uh, yeah, machinate, if you will. Um, but uh, yeah, that's okay. Uh, the important thing is uh, to, to have the, the basic principles uh, in place whereby, as you mentioned, uh, the government exists to serve the constituents and not the other way around. And so, um, yeah, with the right aides and, and helpers and uh, appointments, then a leader like that can accomplish a lot. But the big, the big factor is going to be how would Ganjar as a nominee manage the national political elites whom he would need for his nomination how much deference uh, would he pay to them and uh, to what extent is that going to uh, you know, throw him off course yeah well he seems to be fairly close with with the we with the widodo family uh he's pretty close with gibran uh the mayor of, of solo um and he does seem to have the machinery of the PDIP, if not the leadership. Um, so how d- then does uh, Ganjar keep those, this momentum when he doesn't have the full support of his party? And we have to keep in mind, his rivals are not, not standing still. I mean, Prabowo probably has seen the polls too, just like anyone else, and is going to start maneuvering as well. So h- how, does, how does he keep this? Yeah, yeah, there's there's a there's a long way to go for sure. The um, nominating deadline is October 2023, uh, so that's uh, still 16 months away. So uh, things could definitely change. But yeah, there's there's no big junctures between now and then that are really that that should change the political map dramatically. Like specifically, a regional head election, as had been the case in 2012, which uh, brought Widodo into the national politics and made him a potential contender uh, for president in 2014. There are no regional head elections between now and the national election in 2024 because Widodo postponed those. Uh, so you know, the, the figures that are in place now are probably going to be the contenders. Um, as you mentioned, Puan Maharani may run for PDIP, and that could be Ganjar's biggest problem because uh, even though she's uh, not really popular at all, um, 
there should at least be some PDIP voters who would vote for her uh, for president rather than Ganjar, which is whom they would presumably vote for if she were not running. And so that could bleed away a little bit of support from Ganjar. And if it's a tight race, that could be significant. So there's a new poll that came out from Charta Politic, which showed that uh, within PDIP, so among PDIP voters, Ganjar's support is about 10 to 1 uh, over Juan Maharani. Uh, but Charta Politic is not really the best polling firm. It's not, not as elite as uh, some of the other ones. So um, yeah, that deserves a grain of salt. Uh, I'm not sure that their polling extends down to the grassroots well enough, but there's a lot happening, that's for sure. And there's going to be a lot of dynamics. And um, uh, depending on you know the who gets nominated by whom, um, you know, thing, the, the standings in the polls may change. But Ganja right now is the one that has uh, both the recent momentum and uh, also more upside potential as well. And he doesn't have the baggage that Anis has for that really awful, dirty election in 2017 that was just racially tinged, if just not racially motivated. And Prabowo, who, I'm sorry, has made his case twice and was rejected twice. So, I mean, he brings about the... Did you ever watch Veep? Uh, I don't know. The, the HBO series with um, Julia... Uh, Dreyfus, Lu- Lu- Julia oh, Dreyfus. and her presidential campaign was uh, uh, changed with continuity or something like that. So he, he just he brings he brings the change out element, but he also brings a whole bunch of we dodo too. He's, yeah. he's back right. Is that a problem? I mean, we're seeing no. some status quo. I mean, might be kind of baked in an extension of the, the previous administration. Right. Yeah. Well, in terms of how much he has to give away in terms of you know, his uh, you know, decision making, uh, in terms of uh, bartering concessions to the establishment elite in exchange for a nomination, uh, that could be a handicap for him. But overall, the prize is to gain the big, moderate, mainstream majority that's twice supported Widodo and is still out there and that still supports Widodo for that matter. So that's why Widodo's endorsement uh, will be huge. And two weeks ago, Widodo hinted or indicated that uh, his preference is uh, Ganjar. So uh, that was major. Um, It it seems as if Ganjar has a chance to get a nomination from the Golkar-led alliance, the KIB, Uh, Three parties are uh, Golkar, Pan, and the small PPP. And they held a uh, a big event about 10 days ago where two figures close to Widodo attended. Luhut, coordinating minister, and uh, Ari Buri Satyadi. And Satyadi is the head of Projo, which is the volunteer campaigners that Widodo has used in his past elections. So the fact that Widodo supports Ganjar, um, Projo supports Widodo, and the head of Projo was at this rally for KIB, sort of by extension shows the KIB is pro-Ganjar. That's, they're all sort of coalescing. Uh, basically, the, yeah, the Widodo elite that wanted to extend his term, uh, or four parties that supported that, three of them are in the KIB, and, and they seem to be latching on to, uh, to Ganjar. And now that they failed to uh, change the constitution to extend Widodo's term, I think they, they see Ganjar as their solution for the future for uh, Maintaining their grip. Yeah. I, um, I vividly recall a 
uh, my difficulties explaining to an ambassador. I think you had lunch with this ambassador too. Um, well, he's visiting Bali. He's asking me, so what are the political philosophies, the guiding principles of each of the main parties? And I said, <laughs> you know, you talked to Kevin, right? Not so easy. Yeah. What, what, did, what did he say? <laughs> that was religion. <laughs> yeah. because, um, other than PKS power, I mean, <laughs> we want power more than the other guy. I, right. Really? <laughs> you know, it, it wasn't always the case. Uh, there used to actually be differences between the parties. Uh, at, the, you know, at the start of Indonesia's democratization, there were parties that really embraced reform and change and clean governance and uh, all those types of things. Uh, but then some of those parties just kind of uh, yeah, fell victim or became their own vested interest. And meanwhile, the parties in parliament insulated themselves from competition uh, with these electoral thresholds uh, for president, but especially the parliamentary threshold, which makes it very difficult for new parties to come up and rival existing parties. And so uh, these incumbent parties are insulated and all nine in parliament now really tend to try to preserve and uh, defend the status quo. And that's why the um, once independent anti-corruption commission is now no longer independent. Hey, podcast listeners, Jeff here again. For more analysis like this on Indonesian politics, policy, and economics, try a subscription of the Reformasi Weekly Newsletter. Go to reformasi.info for your free one-month trial. And we're back. Deliberations on a long-awaited bill originally intended to, among other things, pave the way toward doubling the country's reliance on renewable energy by the middle of the decade reached a critical milestone last week. Committee 7, the Committee on Energy, voted to refer the bill to the General Assembly, where talks will get underway with the administration on a draft of the final bill before it is expected to pass by November. November is key date. That's when Indonesia hosts the G20 in Bali. Hey, uh, hey Jeff. This, Sorry, can I interrupt you? Yeah. Sorry, Jeff. Yeah. Yeah. What happened that was the uh, Legislative Commission ha- had bottled the bill up for six months, and then uh, mm. they finally referred it to the General Assembly. So the, the Legislative Committee 7, right? No, they're different. So Commission 7 was for it already like a year ago. Uh, right. But the, uh, legis- in. <laughs> the legislative commission is higher up, has more senior parliamentarians in it, people closer to the Widodo administration, basically. And, and they sat on it for six months inexplicably. The new and renewable bill, yeah. the new and renewable energy bill, has graduated though to the, to the General Assembly and is now in talks with, with the administration. Is that right? Yeah. Um, Another focus of talks between the legislature and the and the administration? Yeah, that's all right. It's just, uh, yeah, it's just where it came from. It wasn't Commission 7. It was the, the Legislative Commission, the Baleg. The Baleg Legislative Commission, which is higher up from the Commission on Energy. Yeah. Great. I've been schooled, listeners. Oh, that's, that's uh, because I don't think I'm alone in being a bit confused about how parliamentary procedures work in Indonesia. <laughs> it's a struggle. It's still a struggle after 10 years. <laughs> they it graduated from the Baleg to yeah. the to the G 
General Assembly. There's going to be talks with the administration. These talks will hammer out a final version of the bill. Uh, this is actually when an administration can withhold, right? It's yeah. support and not, and not in, uh, engage with the, and that effectively veto a bill. That's how that, that's how that t- tends to happen in Indonesia, right? Yes. If that, if there's going to be a veto, it's usually, that's how it's done, but it's not going to be done this time. Probably not. And, and the wording new and renewable. That seems problematic because it, it includes, if I've got my reading right, done my homework. Yeah, it's good. It, it includes it. A brand new energy source that's just been discovered called coal. So it's a black brick that you can burn and it creates smoke. New invention. <clears throat> Tell me more. Tell me more. Is it dirty? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, can, you can just scrub it. You put on a scrubber on top. It's fine. Oh, yeah. This cheap, yeah. We got all these coal-fired power plants. Um, what, so it was meant to be Indonesia's bid to reduce its reliance on coal fossil fuels um, and increase its reliance on renewables. Is that going to be the case? Uh, the reporting out there seems to suggest otherwise. That it's just greenwashing. Yeah. Um, I can kind of envision a future where Indonesia does reduce its consumption of coal in order to better enable its politically well-connected coal miners to export it for a higher price. Um, So Indonesian coal will still get burned, but just not in Indonesia. Uh, That's down the road, though. Even even that scenario um, is down the road. so uh, this bill will make it more feasible and uh, attractive to go into renewable energy, uh, but it will not necessarily bring about a transition because it seems as if policymakers are intent on preserving the implicit subsidy for coal-fired power plants uh, that coal mining companies pay right now. This is the DMO, the domestic market obligation? Yes, right now they're using a DMO, so coal companies have to give 25% of their production to PLN or other domestic utilities or or qualified users, and uh, they do so at a maximum price of $70 per ton, which was no big deal when coal was really cheap two years ago, but now coal is unbelievably expensive, and so these producers are really chafing. So there's a few different uh, proposals out. One is to simply uh, expand the DMO to 30%, just to make sure that um, PLN, the utility, has enough coal. Yes, it's coal. Last year, yeah. But another idea is to create an agency that would uh, impose a levy on coal exporters, and then that money would be used to defray the costs for PLN to buy its coal at market rates. Basically then what you would have is big exporting coal producers cross-subsidizing small, less efficient, domestically focused ones uh, that that would supply PLN, something like that. Right. In, in any event, still coal would be cheap and um, it'd be hard for renewable energy to compete with it, except for at the margins. Right. Um, off of the Java Valley grid, I suppose maybe out there, yeah, because uh, there's so much surplus capacity, and that is is that sort of a stumbling block. Uh, there's been a building boom of coal-fired power plants. There's lots of spare capacity, um, and uh, PLN is just loath to take it off to add renewables 
I guess in their view is that it, it, it hurts their investment even more. Yeah. It, some, somebody, somebody would have to foot the bill uh, for the uh, retirement of coal fired power plants uh, for the, the owners and the investors and the financiers. Um, that's um yeah, the reality, I think. How does how do you think that might play out? Where, hey, um, so I'm trying to imagine a scenario where uh, the the leaders of the of the G20, assuming it goes assuming it goes ahead, it might actually all gather in Bali, and um, you know, President Widodo says, "Hey, we've made great strides. Uh, look at this new law we have um, on new and renewable energy, but it's." more or less supporting coal gasification and development of coal bed methane. And methane is just uh, a very potent uh, greenhouse gas. I mean, it just seems like it might backfire. Yeah, it, it could be pretty lackluster uh, anyway. Uh, so I think the reason why the new and renewable energy bill is finally making progress is because the Widodo administration has recognized that they need to have it in place before the G20 summit in late October, and and they may very well do so. Uh, but yeah, as you say, it, it may be kind of lackluster because it's not quite the bill that many had hoped for. Instead, it's going to be something that's uh, very mixed and, and has has to do with has to do as much with preserving the the role of coal as it does with uh, ushering in a transition to renewables. Yeah, well, uh, maybe something that would be left for a President Conjure. My lips to God's ears. Yeah, and so you know, the, the, there's um, tax harmonization law passed last year by Parliament at the initiative of the Finance Minister, provides for a carbon tax. So, so that's an instrument that's at the disposal of the government, this government, or a future government to uh, alter the playing field um, with a stroke of a pen and make uh, coal-fired electricity uh, less economical uh, relative to. Uh, power from renewable energy. Another another factor, you know, it's interesting should be in the bill is is whether the government's going to help support exploration and geothermal uh, because you know, ultimately that's that's the resource that Indonesia really needs to develop. And until now, the exploration for geothermal reservoirs has been very risky and costly. There's things the government could do to uh, alleviate that risk. And, and that would encourage uh, investors to develop geothermal resources. And, and that could be the ultimate renewable energy uh, for, for Indonesia. You hear that, Amcham? <laughs> There's some scope for, uh, for investment there, developing well, Amcham and whoever else. All right, we're going to leave it there. No interview for this week. Um, Kevin, always a pleasure. Okay, you too. Thank you. And that's the pod. Our editing and sound engineering is done by Stephen Handoko. Our music is courtesy of the Blue Dot Sessions. For a free trial of Kevin's Reformasi weekly newsletter, go to reformasi.info. If you're listening to us through a podcast app, you know how this works. Please subscribe to this one and share it on social media. It would be a big help. As always, you can reach us at hello at onthelevel.id. This podcast is a production of On The Level Media. I'm Jeff Hutton. Bye for now.